You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Let us continue to listen to and for the word of the Lord. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He bought a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then we go to chapter nine. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you open our ears and increase our understanding of what you have to teach us this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I first want to acknowledge and take responsibility for choosing such a scattered scripture passage. If you felt a little bit lost, jumping from Acts chapter four, and then dipping briefly into chapter nine and then sliding over to Acts 11, I'm sure that you are not alone. But there is a common thread that was woven throughout each of these sections of Acts, and that common thread was Barnabas. Today we are looking at the story of Barnabas, who overall falls a little bit under the radar. So I had to pull together these bits and pieces of scripture in order for us to get a sense of who he is. And so first I wanna fill in the gaps of what was happening in Acts, since there was a lot going on that we missed. Acts is the story of the very beginning of the church. 
And towards the end of chapter four, we learn that the community of believers were bringing their resources and their possessions together so that they could distribute them to those in need. And this is the first time that we hear about Barnabas. We learn that he sells a field that he owns and that he brings the money to the apostles in order to further their mission. And then we don't hear about Barnabas again until chapter nine and a lot happens in between. The disciples are meeting some resistance as they spread the news of Jesus. And a man named Stephen is stoned to death for doing powerful deeds in the name of the Lord and for sharing his faith. And at the stoning of Stephen, we learn that a young man named Saul, also named Paul, was there and was in full support of Stephen's murder. Saul continues to work against the disciples, doing all that he can to prevent the spread of the good news until he has a direct encounter with the risen Christ. And then all of a sudden, this man who has been persecuting the church says that he wants to join them. And no real surprise, the disciples are not too keen on this idea. They didn't trust him, and I can't say that I blame them. They were not about to accept that after years of being persecuted by this man that Saul had really changed. That is, until a man named Barnabas speaks to the disciples and convinces them to give Saul slash Paul a chance. And then finally, we get to chapter 11, where the church is growing rapidly. Barnabas gets sent to Antioch to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles, spreading the message of Jesus even further. And Barnabas is so overjoyed by what he finds when he gets there, seeing that all that God is doing, that he wants to share it with someone. And of all people, who does he choose but Saul? Barnabas takes the opportunity to bring this young disciple along with him to share his knowledge and his influence and to ultimately mentor him so that Saul, who is new to the faith, knows how to be a faithful disciple. Now I would bet that, that most of us, if we have spent any time in church, have heard the name Saul or Paul. But how many of us really knew much about Barnabas? Honestly, I didn't, not really. And he's only mentioned 28 times in scripture. Though if it hadn't been for Barnabas, there is a good chance that we would have never heard of Paul, who's mentioned 239 times, in case you want that for Bible trivia. So after learning more about Barnabas, I would have to say that he's very underrated. Acts 11 describes him as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And from the brief information that we are given about Barnabas, we know that he offers support with his resources, his influence, and his guidance. He was a man who was willing to be behind the scenes and who used his gifts to build up others, 
seeing potential in others that maybe nobody else could see. Barnabas didn't seek out recognition or status, and instead he was known for the quiet ways that he walked alongside and supported others as a mentor in a steady, faithful way. And even with all of those qualities, all of those attributes, we learn that he is named and most well-known by others as the son of encouragement. Encouragement is considered a spiritual gift, listed right alongside those other gifts, such as teaching and preaching, that often get more recognition. Romans 12.8 from the Common English Bible translation says that if your gift is encouragement, then devote yourself to encouraging. And so what does it mean to encourage? It includes the word courage, which means heart. And so altogether, the word literally means to put in heart or to support the heart, to make strong. And then when I looked at the Greek word that's used to describe Barnabas, I was delightfully surprised at what I found, that the word for encouragement is paraklesios, that same word from where we get paraclete. And if that word sounds vaguely familiar, it is the word which is used to describe the Holy Spirit. It literally means both advocate and comforter. An encourager can look like an advocate who is urging you forward, maybe into something out of your comfort zone. And an encourager can be a comforting presence who holds you up when you don't feel like you can take another step. Encouragement includes supporting people both in their strengths as well as in their struggles. Just like Barnabas, I would argue that the gift of encouragement is greatly underrated as well. And so today we are, we're nearing the end of our sermon series from this fall that was called, This Is Our Story. And so I want you to think for just a moment about a story from your own life when someone else's encouragement has impacted you. Think of someone who saw something special in you and acknowledged your gifts, or someone who was there for you in a difficult time. I'm hoping that we can all think of an example and maybe several examples. And while it may not be something that we think about every day, these people, these encouragers, have left a powerful imprint on our lives. I don't know if I would be standing in this pulpit today if it weren't for someone who was an encourager for me. As a junior in high school, I signed up to do a year-long youth disciple Bible study class at my friend's Presbyterian church. And toward the end of that year, Pastor Tim, who had been leading our class, told me that he could see gifts for ministry in me. And I was a little bit surprised, because growing up in the Catholic Church, this possibility had never really crossed my mind. 
but I was curious, and so I emailed him later and asked, me to, asked him to tell me more. And then that, converse, that summer, we had more conversations, and I asked if I could shadow him the next year and learn about the ins and outs of ministry. And then throughout that year, he gently encouraged me, often gently pushing me out of my comfort zone, and offered me opportunities to get hands-on experience in pastoral ministry. Throughout college, we would exchange long emails back and forth when I would leave my religion classes still full of questions. And then eventually, several years down the road, he was the one who preached at my ordination. Tim is serving as a pastor in Knoxville now, and so I still get to see him for coffee or lunch occasionally as I'm driving through town. And we might not talk as often as we used to, but his encouragement will forever be a part of my story. It's powerful to hear just how much someone's encouragement can make a difference in someone else's life. I heard another example of this last month at the Faith Initiative to End Child Poverty Summit. We were sitting at round tables discussing the question, how can the faith community effectively support students and educators? And one woman at my table, Sherry, had been working in public education for over 26 years and currently works at Mary H. Wright Elementary. And as part of this conversation at the table, we had the privilege of hearing her story. Sherry told us that she came from a poor family, that she was able to attend Furman University thanks to good financial aid. She received her degree in elementary education and then was offered a teaching job post-graduation. But she was worried about how to make that transition into the real world without having any financial support and without any savings to fall back on. So while she was trying to figure all of this out, a family from the church she had been attending invited her to stay in their home with them for several months until she was able to save some money. Over 20 years had gone by since that experience, but Sherry still got tears in her eyes when she told us this story. She said that that family showed me that another way was possible. Their encouragement helped me see what life could be like. I can't help but wonder how many hundreds of students' lives have now been changed because of Sherry's encouragement and support. And it was all possible because someone else believed in her and helped her to get what she needed to succeed. We don't have to look very far to find beautiful examples of this spiritual gift all over our congregation. The biggest encouragers are often ones you might not notice at first, because like Barnabas, they're usually content to be behind the scenes and don't expect recognition. But I think that encouragers are the heartbeat of the church. 
the women in tickled pink who cover the walls of homebound or nursing homebound members' walls with notes and cards to remind them that they are loved, the people who organize and serve at our neighborhood meal ministry every single week, offering not just a hot meal, but a smile and a word of encouragement to those who walk through the doors. The volunteers who give their time and attention to a student at Cleveland Academy every week as a reading tutor. Those in our congregation who have served as confirmation mentors or Bible study leaders or just friends of our youth and college students so that they have other trusted adults in their lives. What would it look like if the thing that First Presbyterian Church was most well known for was for being the church of encouragement? How can we be encouragers to one another, not just within the walls of our congregation, but throughout our community? How do we lift one another up by encouraging our strengths as well as walking alongside others in our struggles? being both advocates and comforters. We are now officially in Thanksgiving week. Got a little jolt of stress from that. And in the midst of that stress and that craziness that holidays can bring with them, imagine how things would feel different if as an act of gratitude, we each took the time this week to write a note or to make a phone call to encourage someone else. I suspect that encouragement is like joy, that it multiplies. The more that we give out, the more there is to give. Yes, I think that we could all benefit from being just a little more like Barnabas an encourager full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Oh, may it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.